This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films. And I will be joined, as always, by the legendary football writer, Patrick Barclay, to take you on this journey through Old Trafford history. If you are watching the video, please give it a like and subscribe. Join in the conversation in the comment section. And if you're listening to the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you are listening on. Um, well, this is one hell of a busy season today, Paddy. In the last episode, we took in the title-winning campaign of 91, yeah. 1951-52. And this season, there's no trophies, but it's possibly the most drastic overall of a championship-winning team you're ever likely to see in British football. Seven young players giving debuts throughout the course of the season and another one signed in a big-name player signed later on in the season. 12-game tour, though, as we intimated in the last episode, uh, the 12-game post-season tour, uh, after winning the title, they went back to North America. And, uh, I mean, this you said the last one was eventful. This one includes near riots in games against Atlas Club of Mexico in Los Angeles. They had two games against them. Things were so bad in the first one. And uh, apparently, we should go on record in saying the, there's no... Um, indication that any United players or any of the United party were to blame for the near riots that were reported in the first game. Busby yeah. had wanted to call the second game off. Um, yeah. It wasn't called off. United played the game. They won 4-3. It was yeah. described by many as, um, well, many journalists who were watching it on that side of the the um, of the country in North America as the finest game of soccer ever seen on the Pacific coast. But Paddy, mm-hmm. that's not quite how it was reported back home. And um, as the yeah. tournament on, um, it got quite fruity for United. Yes, it did. I mean, after the first game, Busby, as you rightly say, was, was, was concerned that it was, you know, this was not the tranquil entertaining, um, you know, hands across the sea. Um, visit to America, it, 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 it was a rough house, and uh, so Busby went to his captain, Carey, um, and said, You know, tell the, the boys they must not retaliate. Um, and uh, sure enough, Roger Byrne, uh, who we mentioned in the last episode, who'd forced his way into the team and played a crucial part as an outside left in the title-winning team of 51-52. Roger, by now yearning to play at left-back, but he was kicked and retaliated and was sent off. And Busby was furious, went to uh, Byrne and said, listen, you were told you either apologise to Johnny Carey within two hours, or you're going home. And uh, this had the echoes, of course, of the uh, of Busby's iron fist that he'd applied to Johnny Morris and Charlie Mitten from the, the 48 uh, cup winning team. And although by now he could clearly see a big, big future for Roger Byrne, the same rule was applied. So. Anyway, suffice it to say that Bernard was a strong character, as you 
as we said last week, you know, grammar school boy, bright, um, independent-minded, uh, but this was too much. So within, he'd been given two hours to go to Kerry. Within 15 minutes, he'd knocked on Kerry's door and said, listen, I'm really, really sorry. Um, that was, that became known to the rest of the squad. And um, so it was clear that Roger Byrne was, a, this wasn't to be the end of the tensions between Byrne and Busby because Byrne believed he was a left back. He was being used most of the time the outside left. Uh, and as I say, United had the first title in 30 seasons because of it, partly because of it. So uh, there were tensions remaining, but Busby once again, as with Mitten and Morris, had made his point. And uh, the tour went on. Yeah, and as it got towards the end of it, Paddy, um, there was a little bit of discontent in the, the entire squad because of the financial well, recompense. It, it wouldn't be Busby era Manchester United if there wasn't financial tension. Um, the club had a culture of, of penny pinching, which was, in a way, a, a, a creature, a creation of, it, of its environment. I mean, it had had to... You know, in modern times, we, we got used to talking about the difficulties of clubs, uh, even, you know, big clubs like Arsenal, Tottenham, who rebuild stadiums and having to, the tension between the money for the rebuilding and the thing, well, of course, and, and the team, well, of course, Manchester United, way, way back in the post-Second World War period, were in that position. They had to rebuild the ground after the bombing. Yes, they were given bomb compensation, but that had been an expensive business. So that it was quite natural that there should be that Secretary Walter Crickmer, Matt Busby, um, other you know, staff should be brought up in a culture of taking care of the pennies. And yes, as in the tour of two years earlier, the, the players felt they should have been given more spending money. And given that they were mixing at times with uh, world stars of uh, the entertainment world, such as Bob Hope, Bing Crosby. Uh, Bob Hope, by the way, born in in, in England. Uh, he, one of his favorite lines was, uh, I was born in England of a family of seven brothers, six brothers. That's how I learned to dance, uh, waiting to use the toilet. You know? <laughs> uh, Anyway, they met Bob Hope, the great comedian. They met Ben Crosby and, uh, you know, the Jerry Lewis, you know, the biggest stars in the world. Um, that was one of the benefits. Uh, if, if playing against Atlas was one of the, the penances of, of uh, going out to Los Angeles, one of the benefits was in being able to go back to Hollywood, meet the stars. Yeah. I, uh, it always reminds me of a great line from Tommy Docker who, of course, we'll talk about later in this series. But um, a lot of that tension came from the fact that the players were paid more in the season than they were in the summer. So even mm. though they were going on this 12-game tour, they were still full-time footballers through the summer. Yeah. They were paid, paid possibly around 30% less. And um, Tommy would always say that... Um, I mean, that it was always proportional with the contract as well. So the top players would be paid a little bit more yeah. than the top players, even in the summer. And Dockett had complained, saying that he was as good as anyone on his day off. Yeah. <laughs> he paid as much as anyone when they're not playing. And, uh, you know, he had a point. Um, but, yeah, that was, um, like Paddy said, indicative of the um, financial um, situation with the club. Yeah. There'll be a few more stories like that along the way. Um, the squad. Yeah, well, they, they, they were, I don't know if Tommy Dockett was one of the players that, that uh, I mean, there's a story told about various people, you know, saying, yeah, yeah, but. Of course, you get less, you know, in, uh, in, in the summer because, you know, of course, Vinny gets more because he's a better player than you. And whoever it was, either Tommy Dunphy said, not in the summer, he isn't. Yeah. But uh, he probably was because he was playing for England. But um, yeah, this, those were days, you know, that it's, it's difficult for people nowadays to realize that, that football, although footballers were paid more than the average worker especially, you know, even the average working man. Uh, I could bear in mind that men were paid more than women still at that time, generally speaking. Um, 
that they, they weren't super rich, you know, they weren't uh, as they are now. They, they you know, the, the kind of salaries that, uh, that are paid at Manchester United, you know, for a week, these players wouldn't earn in a year, in a lifetime or, or anything like. Yeah, indeed. And we'll actually come to one um, example of that later in this uh, podcast with one of the players who gets introduced into the team this season. Um, yeah, the squad was by now getting populated with the younger players that they were developing at mm. the club. Um, and we will be touching on how those players, how those players were developing. Um, United's nationwide scouting and that local approach that they had to finding landladies and landlords. Yes. In this sort of situation being typical now where in Mrs. Watson's house, for example, on Birch Avenue in Stratford, um, yeah. it helps Johnny Berry, Jack yeah. Mark Jones, and three new youngsters who come in. David Pegg from the previous season, he'd been signed as a junior player and was doing great things in the reserve team, partly um, helped by Roger Burns' development because Peg now mm. got in the reserves. Um, but two new lads came along, and we'll be talking about one of them in this episode. Gordon Clayton and Duncan Edwards have come up from the Midlands. So you imagine all those players in one house. Um, and it was funny because the club, even mm. up to the 70s, would advertise in newspapers in the programme for new landlords mm. and landlords. So, it's, so you know, the vetting was fairly um, liberal, to be fair. They probably had no Armstrong going around. Well, he, he most undoubtedly did. It went around every year. Um, Every one of these households to mm. see that these people um, were were fitted, uh, fitted yeah. to look after them. But as we would find out through later episodes of this podcast, um, Mrs. Watson's house turned into something of ill repute. There's <laughs> 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 like five or six players there, and even more came over the time as well, which is just incredible when you think about it. But it was part of this um, idea of fostering um, good team spirit, which was actually working really well um, at junior yes. level, not not so far at the first team level. Um, we talk about that then, Paddy, the title defence was quite horrific, really. Um, alarm bells were ringing in early October. There was a game at, against uh, Wolves at Molyneux where they were 2-0 up and it absolutely collapsed. If you 2-0 up in 20 minutes and then half-time it's 2-2, they lose 6-2. And you had senior players like Aston, Carey, Chilton, Pearson, Rowley, and all of a sudden, it was looking like those players were over the hill. That's right. This is, you know, known in shorthand terms, you know, Busby built three great teams. And this was still, and we are now talking season 52-3, this was still what is known, uh, as I say, uh, in shorthand terms, as the 48 team. Um, uh, you know, still five or six of them, if you'd include John Aston, whose position at left back, Roger Byrne very much had his eye on already, because um, Roger Byrne was older than most of the, the young players, um, a late developer. But if you include Aston, that would be six, really, from the 48-18, still just about hanging on. But this is Carey's last, this is to be Carey's last season. He's now 36. It's coming up to 36. Um, the others would be Pearson, who was destined to take over for him as, as captain. Um, Henry Coburn is still there. Um, and, and But this season, you mentioned the number of young players, the phenomenal number of young players, and some of them, at least three of them, only 17 yeah. pitched into the team. Uh, this was... This season was definitely, although on the face of it, not a particularly impressive title defence, um, it was the beginning of Busby's next great team, uh, which was, was destined to be known as the 58 team. So, yes, some tremendous players coming through, not just local boys. Eddie Coleman's already come through uh, and is playing in the youth team. Um, but um, uh, from further afield, you may remember that during the James, the late James Gibson's chairmanship, he, he uh, you know, uh, when he hired Busby, he wanted a Manchester team made of Manchester and district players. That had gone by the board. Louis Rocca, his coach, uh, had now also died. And Joe Armstrong was very much the face of Manchester United's recruitment. And that went far and wide. In the 
you mentioned Duncan Edwards, who was from Dudley in the Black Country, but the, uh, already at the club and, and doing well in the youth ranks and, and, and actually making his debut in this season is Jackie Blancheflower, brother of, of, uh, of Danny and, uh, and the super player who we touched on in the last episode. Um, and later in this season, Joe Armstrong's travels take him up to the northeast where his eyes are very firmly fixed on a boy called Bobby Charlton. Yeah, it's incredible, really. That um, I mean, the, the last hurrah of that 48 side is technically the charity shield. Uh, the charity shield in those days played in the autumn, either in September or October, mm-hmm. um, at the home of the champions, which we united, and they took on Newcastle and they won. Um, so, um, you know, the last trophy. And uh, yeah, he was treated somewhat seriously then. Um, you know, yes. Asian, um, United won the game. Like I said in one of the previous episodes where we talked about the charity shield, um, the, the actual rules of the game in terms of substitutes and everything weren't um, hard and fast. And that again will be something that comes across later in the decade. Um, but it was still nonetheless a trophy that um, the players took seriously and they counted it as a trophy. So United were happy to win that. Um, but no League that- Cup, of course. No League Cup in those days. So I suppose that made the charity shield more of a a pool, yeah, and and it, like it effectively served as a super cup, um, yes, because it was the league champions against the FA Cup uh, winners, so it's a bit of a showpiece occasion, uh, even if it would be sort of reduced to the midweek and um, you know, in, in an autumn game, it was still fairly serious. Um, but that was the last hurrah. Then you've got uh, two weeks after the, the, the Castle game, the charity shield is when they lose against uh, Wolves, and then a couple of games after that. Um, a 2-0 home defeat to Stoke um, United 21st in the table unreal mm-hmm. uh, United then uh, Busby has made the decision really he's, he's starting to introduce the kids on a more widespread scale there'll be some definitive games in later seasons where you would say this is where a big change was made mm-hmm. but certainly at the time he was gradually introducing these players and um, the best run of form came as they introduced all these kids into the side David Pegg yeah. was getting a little run, and he looked really good in partnership with Roger Byrne down that old left-hand side. Like I said, Byrne had got his wish moving at left-back, and Peg was absolutely... He had, after... Uh, sorry to interject, but after asking for a transfer, yeah. and he had to be the wise old head. This is probably one of Kerry's last co- great contributions as captain, was to put his arm around Roger Byrne and say, wait, wait, your chance will come. And sure enough, within a matter of weeks and well months at the most um you know roger byrne has has got his wish to play left back busby of course very quietly acceding to his wishes and slipping him in as and when busby decided and by christmas they'd gone up from 21st second bottom to ninth yeah um where where mitten and aston had that sort of craft and guile there was a relentless amount of speed in, in Burn and Peg. And yeah. you imagine two players of that speed coming at you all the time. Um, it was the right hand side of defences was not um, having an easy time against United. Yeah. Um, Eddie Lewis, the brash youngster who'd stolen Reg Allen's Brill Cream in the previous episode, he was now in the team at number nine and scoring yeah. goals as a 17 year old. I mean, and he, I mean, as we'll come to the figures later on, he had a prolific run in the side, but Busby's concern was that he was 17. Yeah, they can't be relying on him. Um, that'll be the introduction of a new player who comes in, Tommy Taylor. And we'll talk about Tommy a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, and but then, yes, Peg was only 17 um, yeah. uh, as well. You know, four 17 year olds during the season, not to mention two 18 year olds, a lad called Johnny Scott, um, who I don't know very much about. But, uh, and, and of course, the local boy, Dennis Violet, who we were to hear an awful lot about. But if you're talking about Violet, you're talking about class, you know, true class. Mm-hmm. And, and Tommy Taylor, uh, when we get on to Tommy, that, that, that there was, a, there was a, a real quality player and one who, although his England career was destined to be curtailed, uh, will still, still to this day, if you talk about great England goal scorers, you have to include Tommy Taylor in that. Yeah, um, Lewis and Taylor were coming in basically as um, long-term replacements for Rowley, and the, the goal-scoring 
um, features. We'll come to the stats a little bit later. It's incredible. Lewis scores a bunch of goals and then Taylor comes in and immediately settles to life Old Trafford scoring a, a bunch of goals. Mm. The, ironically enough, as, as Busby tries to sort of give the old guard a little bit of a, a... Maybe it's a farewell, maybe it's a reintroduction to the side just to see, give them one last chance to see if they are actually past it. Um, mm. <laughs> the form dips at the end of the season. Um, United finishing eighth overall, which is um, a bit of a, an alarming slump from first party. I mean, even accounting yeah. for the transition, you would say yeah. that it's a post season. Only, I think only with the benefit of hindsight could you not be alarmed. I'm sure, you know, the the uh, Sporting Pink, if it had already turned pink, I think it had, uh, in Manchester, the letters page, the legendary letters page would... I haven't actually checked, but I'd be very surprised if there wasn't a certain amount of consternation. Uh, you, you remember before there was a lot of worried that Busby's, the kids, Busby's were, was blooding, were not quite of the required standard. Well, there's no question that the ones he, he had now were to be proved um, above the right standard. I mean, fantastic. They, they were sixth, actually, um, United, when... Uh, in the, when they went into the last game, but they were hammered 5-0 at Middlesbrough and that, that consigned them to eighth, eighth position. There have been worse title defences since, but, uh, and of course, in those days, the league was more mercurial. You yeah. didn't have these sort of, tre you know, winning three in a row as, as during the Ferguson era. Um, not just at United, but I think Liverpool must have must have done that a couple of times before. So that sort of these dynasties, this sort of set in stone superiority, didn't really. Yes, Portsmouth, I think, had won it twice in a row, and maybe Wolves, and but you you, you did tend to find that teams were up one minute, down the next. It was a much more a better competitive balance in English uh, football in those days than there is now. Yeah, and I think, to be fair, Busby had probably braced himself <coughs> for the fact that there would be a, a bit of a drop. Um, yes. Bit, we're traditionally finishing second. I think Very much so. that you were going to get a little bit of a dip um, when he was bringing these players in. Um, and no one within Old Trafford was panicking at all. They were, you know, they knew it was part of the process. Uh, we'll talk about now, like, just bringing the, the youth team a little bit here. Um mm. So title defence did see United finish eighth, uh, which was their lowest pole war showing. But um, and they also were eliminated in the FA Cup by Everton in the fifth round as well. So it was another disappointing showing there. But the FA Youth Cup was another matter completely. Now yeah. this was a competition that was created to give young players a chance to compete against each other. Mm -hmm. The brainchild of Joe Richards. Um, at the end of the Second World War, the FA had organised a youth championship for county associations because they thought mm -hmm. that was the best way to get yeah. players, um, youngsters of that age, competitive against each other. Um, th those matches didn't really get um, a lot of interest, but the idea got a lot of interest because people started thinking, well, you could apply that to clubs instead of counties. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously that's where the, the genesis of this Youth Cup idea came in. It was introduced in the 52-53 season, which um, it's almost, if, if you would have asked Busby and Murphy to... Um, Design a competition that best showcased the talent. It would be yes. like this, really. And um, so, so the players were given this platform. Um, you know, I'd come against some of the top teams in the the country in this season, and some who um, not so um, top. The first team they faced in the Youth Cup was Leeds. Um, mm. Another of those trivia questions: which Charlton was the first goal? Goal scorer for Manchester United. Well, it was Jack Charlton, which he scored an own goal in, in a 4 0 win for, for United at Old Trafford. Um, and then Nantwich 23 0. Um, Nantwich Town, they come to, uh, they basically they were drawn at home, but they couldn't play at home, so they played at the cliff, I think. Um, and they, they arrived at Old Trafford and they had to wear the visiting uniform. Um, which was like this high vis because um, they didn't have their own kit, or the, I think the kit was too dark for the night. So they they switched into this high visibility training gear, which looked horrible. But it was United's training gear, and they basically looked like a training match because they were ten 0 down at, at half time. 
Mm. You would have thought that Jimmy Murphy would have been happy with that, but he, he absolutely hammered the players at half-time, drilling into them that they've got to keep going and they've got to keep um, taking the game seriously, which they do. They win 23-0, which is obviously still a competition mm. record, but it was a massive statement victory. Mm. That It was like this United, this United group of youngsters were going to be relentless and they were going to keep going here. They weren't going to stop. Um, and they, they did get, kept going throughout the competition. They won Berre, they won against Everton, defeated Barnsley, they defeated Brentford. And they come up against Wolves and we talked about how they were not imitating, I think that's probably a little bit unkind for me, but they were certainly following that path of developing their own young players. And this mm. was seen as a sort of cream tie of, um, of the competition, basically. And everyone was mm. quite happy they was United against Wolves. In the first leg, I mean, I'm just going to read through the team that played that first leg. Um, and some of these names will be familiar, some of them won't be. Clayton, Fulton, mm. Kennedy, Coleman, Cope, Edwards, McFarlane, Whelan, Lewis, Pegg, Scanlon. And you will appreciate that some of those have already played in the first team. Yeah. They won against Wolves 7 1. Yeah. Um, well, it's extraordinary how many of the names you've just read out uh, were to become. Part of 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 the great 1958 team or thereabouts. Also, uh, on our picture there, which is of the um, the team who reached the last 16, yeah. um, uh, in that Ronnie Cope, who was pretty close to the first team, uh, was to be pretty close to the first team five years later. I mean, you normally you look at youth teams and you'll get one or two forget about the class of 92 here but by and large you go any club in the country if they produce a couple of top top first team players it's a great generation but if you look at this lot and you look forward to to the 58 to the next busby's next great team you look at it in in the photograph alone there's david pegg uh, a fantastic player uh winger um gordon clayton by the way was um came up with duncan edwards um on the same train uh was a goalkeeper but didn't quite have that uh, quality um duncan edwards arguably the greatest player ever to play for manchester united albert scanlon uh who really um he and peg uh, with the with two of the best left wingers in the country they're both at manchester united then you've got john doherty who would have been a a, a probably almost certainly would have been a top player but for persistent knee injuries um and uh, eddie lewis you mentioned uh, earlier but uh, out of all of those if you look at bryce fulton who is a scotsman next who's on the our right of Gordon Clayton, the goalkeeper. He was the only one that didn't really make a big future in the game, uh, make a decent living in the game, should I say. And, uh, as, and, 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 and several of them became, you know, including Edwards and, um, uh, and, um, and, uh, and uh, Scanlon and, uh, and, um, and, and the, um, uh, Coleman and so on became, uh, became, you know, United Legends. Bang. The Youth Cup victory had this knock-on effect where, just like the FA Cup in, in 1948, where some of these players that you see in the picture, Edwards, um, again, mm. this is for the video watchers, not the um, audio listeners, but you've got the likes of Edwards, and we'll come to him in a moment uh, as we go through the squad. But a lot of these players were influenced by the 48 final, and now the young players were seeing how good the United um, youth team were. You had Wilf McGinnis, who was present at the mm. youth mm. final against Wolves, and he was covered by every top club in the country. And because yeah. of that, the the size of their win, he was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll go and sign for United," which he, he did. And you mentioned Bobby Charlton; he was another one who was enticed because of that reputation. So mm. um, it was having this snowball effect, really. And as we'll come, I mean. I mean, yeah. You mentioned there, Paddy. You mentioned ten players, and, and only Bryce Fulton not making a career in the game. It's phenomenal as we, I guess, it'll be part of the process for the next four or five episodes where we look through these youth cup teams mm. and look at the sheer number of top players that are developing. Um, and we talked about it being a parallel um, 
in the country or in the game really since since this period i think yeah but they were all trying it you know wolves were trying it and and united won nine three on aggregate in the final of the fa youth cup just suppose wolves had got duncan edwards instead of united i don't think it would be nine three would it and (laughs) and of course he was right on the doorstep of uh of wolves yeah. uh he was uh plucked he signed for manchester united at two in the morning because manchester united feared at the beginning of this season that he was going to sign for wolves so of course when wolves got to the final they went there with a burning sense of injustice stan cullis the manager a friend of busby's took charge of the team murphy jimmy murphy was in charge of the united team this team you can see here also another friend of uh, matt busby's bill Riddick. Uh, who's manager of Everton, of beg your pardon, Bolton Wanderers. Um, they were scooping up the, they were fighting for the cream of England's schoolboy team uh, in which Busby was there. They used Ray Parry, uh, the previous captain of the England schoolboys, to try and entice um, Edwards to Bolton rather than Man United. But it, it is a thought that if you take Duncan Edwards out of the United team in that final and put him in the Wolves team. Might have made a big difference to the score. Yeah, Cullis, like we said, he was doing um, the things that Busby was doing, um, or at least taking heed of that. Yeah, Um, by now, this was the the Busby way was recognized as the way. Yeah, Yeah. Um, United had actually been invited to the Blue Star tournament that summer, but They'd already arranged a youth tour to Ireland, so they had to decline the invitation, which um, yeah. accepted, and then they went in United's place. Now, the Blue Star was a, an international youth tournament run in Eldin Zurich. The idea, yeah. like the FA Youth Cup, was to invite the best teams in the world, but obviously, being based in Zurich, they had to include a few local teams as well. Um, United's first participation in that would be the following season. Um, but yeah, they, they ended the season like a youth cup winner, so definitely. Um, and we could say as well that was because it was the first iteration of that competition, it was the first time it had been held. Um, and I, no, no one's ever going to say it was a major trophy, but there was a significant interest in what United had done in that. Well, uh, the, the, the crowd at Old Trafford for the first leg was 21,000, and that must have gladdened Busby's heart because he wanted, uh, you know, these young players to feel that you know, to understand the atmosphere of, of being stars, you know, to prepare them for the, uh, you know, for the pressures of, uh, <clears throat> of the first team. And uh, it's it just interesting, if, if I, before we leave the Youth Cup, uh, that I, I missed out from the list of, of players who, who played in the final who were destined for, for true distinction, uh, Billy Wheeler. Billy, Billy or Liam Whelan, depending on whether you um, took the Mancunian or the Dublin um, habit. But he he was the most modest boy and he came over and uh, and he signed and that was a significant signing because he was a fantastic player and inside right attacking midfield player and was to score goals of, on a sort of Stan Pearson scale uh, for Manchester United during a career that was unfortunately curtailed too early. Yeah, Whelan, obviously a player who will be um, featuring on this um, podcast uh, many yeah. times in the future. Let's, let's run through the squad as we usually do, starting off with the goalkeepers. The senior goalkeeper this season, um, Reg Allen, had injury problems, so he was reduced to just two appearances. And mm. the senior goalkeeper was Jack Crompton, who made 25 appearances, but this was really at the back end of his career, and I think he was called in in a bit of an emergency, really. And, um Ray Wood effectively ended the season's first choice with 17 appearances in all competitions. Alan and Oliver will get to in a moment, um, making two appearances each. These were only only two appearances for the club. Uh, What a story. It is. I'll tell a little bit of it, Paddy, and I'm sure you'll be able to fill in some gaps. So he was a Salford lad. He joined the club as a promising young player. Yeah. Um, he was also an administrative assistant and he was equally adept behind a desk and he didn't know what he wanted to do with his career. So he was helping out with the administration. Of That's right. Well, being not only a goalkeeper, but sometimes a left back, sometimes a midfielder. He was like a, 
and Johnny fixed the problem. He, wherever yeah. United needed someone at any given time, he'd just yep. be there. And I'm sure United had plenty of players to fill the gaps, but he just loved United so much that he would he would just turn up and, like I said, he, I mean, there's a great story that comes from this season. Like two weeks after he made his debut, um, mm. alongside Dennis Violet at Newcastle in April 1953, a couple yeah. of weeks after that, he played in the left back position in the A team. So it tells you everything about where his multi versatility in a way that no few other players had in United history. And you know, I want to give some context in Les Olives' own words here. He said, after the war, United were playing their first home games at Main Road because Old Trafford had been bombed. That meant both both clubs reserved reserves played at our ground. And it was my job to open the turnstiles, pay the referees and so on. When we went back to Old Trafford in '49, the consequent burden, uh, the consequent return of the senior administrative staff left me with a lighter burden, which gave me time for training. Before long, I was playing in the A and B sides, occasionally for the reserves, occupying every position except outside left, with my favourite yep. spots being full back or centre half. It's just extraordinary, isn't it? Well, yes, and considering he was also working alongside, you know, working as as deputy to Walter Crickmer in the secretary's office. <laughs> it was an extra, I mean, he's an extraordinary contributor to Manchester United. And, and many years, and bear in mind, but, but, but those two games he played in goal, which were against away to Newcastle and home to West Bromwich. And he bowed out of those two games with an unbeaten record. They won one and drew the other. So. Um, he didn't let the side down, you know, playing in goal. Um, he was actually, uh, it's not, I'm not quite sure, but I think he might have even been prepared, preferred to Jack Crompton on that occasion. Uh, Wood and, um, and Alan were, were unavailable. Um, but Jack Crompton, he'd been, his goalkeeper had been called into question at that stage of the season. But many, many years later in the 1970s, when I turned up reporting uh, at Old Trafford and, and other places, um, Les Olive was very much um, the board's right-hand man. He was the club secretary and what would now be called chief executive. And um, he was always there, you know, resplendent. That's a lovely picture of him in his blazer. He, he, he Even when I got there in the 70s, you know, he looked looked smart in his blazer and he wasn't sort of overweight or anything like that he you could believe he'd been an ex-player but an absolutely united daft he was and he very much knew his place he, he was he was a very modest man and um probably undervalued although after his death he and in more recent years uh, uh, partly through excellent podcasts like yours wayne um, he has become his his role in the in in the history of Manchester United has become uh, more properly recognised. Unreal, really. You, you asked me, um, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm United mad, but um, my dream mm. was to write when I was growing up, and, and you know, be involved in writing. If you give me a career, yeah, played ten positions for United, played for the first team, he just like made it up as he went along, and then was involved in administration for the club for his entire life. I th I'd be like tempted to take that career as pretty special. Um, yes, uh, very good point. Yeah, and 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 what a, what a book, uh, what a what a book he 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 could have written. And uh, but of course he wouldn't uh, because he was uh, he, he was he just he wasn't a whistleblower. If you see what I mean, he wasn't a. Um, yeah, once you get the anchor, he wasn't a trumpet blower either. You know, he was a, he, 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 you know, the, the interests of Manchester United would be way, way above. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a gentleman who made two appearances. Another one who made two appearances this season was Bill Folks. Um, but he went on to make 688 appearances for the club. Yeah. It was a very different career. Um, sent out Ellen's lad from Liston Boys Club, a full back. Was he still working in the as a minor at this stage? He mean? was indeed. This is what I was going to come on to. This. this is what I was talking about, the supplementary jobs that players had. I mean, he's a full back at this stage as well, so he wasn't 
quite um, ready to play centre off, even though you can see his broad shoulders and he's a big lad as well. Um, Busby and Murphy always felt his long-term position would be in the middle, but there was so much competition at this stage that um, Folks himself felt intimidated and thinking he wasn't good enough. He kept mm. his job working part-time down the coal mine. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, he made just two appearances this season, local lad. He, I mean, he loved United, but he just wasn't, he didn't have the confidence. And, I mean, one of the features of Busby and Murphy's uh, work at United um, that, I mean, will come clear as this podcast goes on it's not just in the introduction of players it's the patience that they showed with them and Bill Folks I mean considering he goes on to play nearly 700 appearances for the club and he, and well, yeah. he takes almost a full season out at one point it's just extraordinary really two, two appearances this season as um, he, he's one of this seven magnificent seven who are making the breakthrough into the mm-hmm. into, um, into side so he plays at full back deputising for the likes of Roger Byrne who Played forty appearances in the forty-five in all competitions and four goals. John yep. Aston um, still made a heavy number of appearances, forty-five in all, um, scoring mm-hmm. eight goals, forty in the league. Johnny Carey now mostly playing at right half, um, thirty-seven appearances in all competitions, thirty-two in the league, and a single goal. Um, Mark Jones, who we mentioned in the previous episode, he makes two appearances this season. Tom McNulty, the regular right back, he's makes 23 appearances and 24 in all competitions. The other fullback competition comes from Billy Redman. One game at left back, you know, I had a well stock there now and Billy Redman's career is on the way, unfortunately, after obviously putting in an admirable stint as well. Uh, so if we get into this halfback line, you mentioned Jackie Blanchflower earlier on. He makes one appearance this season. He did have um, an injury at the back end of the previous season where he needed an operation, so he was obviously needing some recuperation time as well. He made one appearance uh, in the halfback line. Alan B. Chilton still makes 42 appearances. He played every single game for the club this season, 47, so he's still showing some durability. Not one of those that Busby's too concerned about just yet, but with the emergence of one player we're about to mention. His um, squad places really at, at risk. Emery Coburn, 26 appearances in all competitions, just 22 in the league. Don Gibson, as we mentioned in previous episodes, 20 appearances in the league, 21 in all competitions. And Jeff Whitefoot now making a biggest stake for a first-team place, 10 appearances in the league and in all competitions. And that brings us on to Duncan Edwards, um, a really big name in this generation. One of a generation... Um, certainly by himself, but of this young lad, uh, these young lads who had listened, as I said earlier, to the 48 final on the radio, um, the three goals that came in that short burst of time um, gave them such an imagination. These were the lads who just ran out and started playing football on the field after dreaming of playing for United. Now, he was, as you mentioned, covered heavily by many clubs, most notably Bolton and Wolves, who both thought that they had him at one point. Managers had him in the car. (laughs) He's having to refuse them to the face. Right. Um, United were able to acquire this lad of five foot ten, built like an oak. Having names like Bomber already at the age of sixteen, um, he made one appearance this season against Cardiff. He was sixteen, setting a new appearance record for a young player. Um, he was actually tipped off to United. You mentioned an Everton player who Busby was after. He's a lad called Alec, Alec Farrell. Yeah. And, um, Busby really wanted him, but he wanted to go to Everton. Um, mm. And when Busby was complaining about this to Joe Mercer, who'd been on an actual, he'd been on a coaching course in Blackpool, and he'd seen yeah, he knew, he knew the England schoolboys, yeah, yeah. And he'd seen Farrell. He saw Duncan Edwards. And he said, "Don't be worried about Farrell. Mm. Go and get Duncan Edwards." Uh, I'm going to read a couple of quotes here about Edwards as well. Um, George follows in his News Chronicle column of April 1st, which was just before Edwards made his debut. And this is a great line, um, which talks about the, the, the speech volumes for the sports writing of this generation. Like the father of the first atom bomb, Manchester United are waiting for something tremendous to happen. This tremendous football force they discovered is Duncan Edwards, who is exactly 16 and a half this morning. Um, Edwards' his most notable um, contribution this season had been in the game against Everton in the Youth Cup. Um, we spoke about how Nantwich Town had been put to the sword by 23 goals. Well, Edwards um, was moved to centre-forward to play against Everton. And this was a written, a quite 
common occurrence when even a talented mm. side like United was struggling. They'd just mm. move Edwards from half-back to centre-forward and he'd score yeah. a goal and then move back. Um, they, it was like what you see on a playground, basically, when you move the best player forward just to win the game. And that has to speak volumes for how good Edwards was in the mm. sea of talented players that he was able to make that kind of difference. Um, mm. I would give you Matt Busby's first impression of him um, from the first day of training. Obviously, Busby had seen him play before, but Busby saw every player play. So um, it was waiting for that striking first impression, really. This is a line, I think it's from his My Story book. And he says... At the start of the season, Jimmy Murphy, Bert Wally and I get the boys together for an informal chat in which I tell them, we three are here to help you in every way possible. If you have any problems, bring them to us and tell us all about them. We don't want you to brood about anything because if you do, your football is going to suffer. Those of you with ground staff jobs, make sure you report for duty in good time. We want you to enjoy yourselves, but this is not a holiday camp. Following one such talk, I pulled Jimmy Murphy to one side and said, Jimmy, you see the big boy in the corner of the room? All the time I've been t- talking, his eyes have been on me, taking everything in. That is the way he has been ever since, always ready to listen to something that may be to his benefit. The boy's mm. name, Duncan Edwards. Mm. Um, Edwards was saying a, um, a standard, basically, Paddy, where um, he was so good. And he was so dedicated to self-improvement in a way that people might say of Cristiano Ronaldo these days. They saw a player who was already at the top, like he was already recognised as the best around, but he was so dedicated to self-improvement. They Mm. had incredible uh, motivational aspects um, on the rest of the squad as well. But listen to the authority of that quote from that you so wisely uh, gave us from George Follows, uh, the journalist, um he must have known at, to to know that it was the the football equivalent of of the atom i mean it it george must have been you know that it tells you about the relationships between trusted journalists and and nowadays no journalist would be would be given that kind of an insight uh, by the manager and staff of a club um George just happened to be able to write it better than most. But uh, they were to be proved so right. Um, We'll go on to the forward line now. And six, no less than six players got given chances um, to make their impression in in this um, season. So we'll go through them. I'll go through them in alphabetical order to make it easier. Johnny Berry had obviously nailed down that right-hand side position. He was predominant in, in this area. 40 appearances, 7 goals. Yeah. 5 appearances in all competitions. Ernie Bond, we spoke about in previous episodes, yeah. makes one appearance. I think this is it for him, really. Um, like we've talked about Peg, we've talked about Burn, all these players coming in. Um, Bond's time is running out. Frank Clemson, additionally, 4 appearances in the league, but um, yeah, he's also going to fail. Um, not fail, but he failed to make his mark at United because of the competition there. Um, John Doherty, you mentioned earlier on, he makes his debut this season. Five appearances in the league, two goals inside forward, uh, deputising for Downey, um, actually. Mm. So Doherty showing a lot of um, capability of stepping up to the mark. One good oh, yeah. thing, about, you, you always notice of these players, um, they either make, they, they never seem to be like an in-between. They either came in and failed to score and they were quickly moved out, or they were yeah. quite horrific. And don't he had that about him? Um, he yeah. For an inside forward, two in five from his first um, appearances in the league is very good indeed. Yes. Yes, he was. He was very, very highly rated, but uh, unfortunately, knee injuries uh, always uh, always hampered him. Yeah. And uh, sorry, I was just going to move on to Johnny Downey, but please. Oh, on. Johnny Downey. Yes. Yep. Um, John Johnny Downey. Four goals in 23 appearances this season, three in the league. So, obviously, he's a player whose um, position is fairly at risk here from, from the likes of Billy Whelan in the youth team. Yeah. He's inside forwards. United are about to develop a plethora of inside forwards and um, much to Busby's delight, but um, obviously mm-hmm. to, to the chagrin of some of these um, players who serve United so admirably over the, over the years. Um Eddie Lewis is the next name. 
Uh, to mention Eddie Lewis, yeah. um, as Paddy already mentioned in the last episode, um, a character we'll talk about in, in future episodes as well, but um, he's already made his mark here. Nine goals in 14 appearances already. Um, mm. Seven in ten in the league, two in four in the FA Club. So he came in, he had to fill um, a gap and he was he hit the ground running, but because he was 17 and Busby wasn't entirely convinced that and he could rely on a young lad like that. Um, and because Lewis was fairly combustible as well, and he needed some calming down a little bit. Um, yeah. Obviously, that was the, why one of the players I've been about to mention got brought in. Um, Ari McShane made five appearances. Obviously, he came in um, basically to to um, succeed the, um, the, the right-sided uh, players. Mm-hmm. Sort of moved on at this point. Then he'd filled it, you know, he'd filled in admirably, he'd done a good job there. But he was again, it was time for Johnny Berry to come in and sort of step up now. And he was mm-hmm. doing that job now. So McShane, five appearances, but mostly helping out with the reserve team and, and doing quite well, um, assisting the young lads' development up there. Um, Stan Pearson, top scorer this season, 16 goals in the league, 18 in all appearances, 39 appearances in the league, and 44 in all competitions. Um, Jack Rowley, um, 11 goals in 26 in the league and 16 in 31 in all competitions. And then you've got David Pegg, who we've already mentioned him a couple of times in this episode, but this was the, the season where he made his debut. Um, nine goals, no, not nine goals, sorry, four goals in 21 appearances, 19 of you know, those appearances were in the league. Now, Pegg was a highly rated for Doncaster. Um, he was starring for England schoolboys. And um, the... Busby had personally intervened again to make sure that he got him because Peg again was covered by many clubs. um, Busby's quote on Peg was, it might have helped me in my quest, although I'm not sure about that. If I promised Mr. Peg, that's David Peg's father, that his boy was going to be a world beater. But it's never been United policy to build castles in the air for the benefit of players or their parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, Busby had pragmatically insisted, hadn't he, uh, Paddy, that with reasonable yeah. luck, David could make it as a professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was that was. Oh, there was always that caveat, yeah. Except, um, except when he was talking about Duncan Edwards. Yeah, the other one, the one exception. But as as we come to discover, he's the exception for a reason. Um, yeah. Jack Hill, Johnny Scott, as as Paddy mentioned earlier. Yeah. Right? One of the many players um, in this, like Ernie Bond, who was James Bond, you know, they, they carried a couple of names. Uh, Jackie Scott, I went with the uh, forward. Uh, just two appearances. He made three overall, um, but yeah, only two in this season. Again, one of these players who came in and um, as, as Busby was trying the different lads from the reserves, um, he was a wide forward. He was Belfast born, signed as a pro earlier in the season, and he made his debut in that 6 2 loss at Wolves. So it was um, quite difficult for him to make an impression. Uh, and to be fair, maybe maybe a little bit difficult for him in the circumstances as well with some of those older players struggling as well because, as we've seen, sometimes you need the older players on, on top form in order to be able to create a good environment for those lads coming in. Um, and that leads us down to the last two players here, Paddy. Um, the first one, Tommy Taylor, £29,999. Um, courted by Cardiff, played at Barnsley. Um, yeah. One of the great espionage transfer stories, this one, is Busby and Murphy go to a Barnsley cinema the night before they sign him, trying to steal a march on the Cardiff boss, Cyril Spires. Um, Taylor had netted 19 goals in 28 league games, so he's obviously the kind of player that um, would step into the breach uh, where Lewis had done so admirably. Um, and he was seen as a, a natural replacement for Rowley in the front line, Paddy. And, um, he was a player that Busby really wanted, wasn't he? Yes, he was, and uh, as you rightly say, there was there was there was competition, Um, but uh, they went there, and uh, they. I mean, the transfer record for Sewell. You mentioned it last week. It was sort of thirty early thirty thousands. United were willing to pay thirty for Tommy Taylor, which was a bargain looking back at it, Uh, but they didn't want to burden him. With being a thirty thousand pound player, so Busby, and they were having a, a chat with the Barnsley directors. Busby handed a pound note to the lady who was serving the tea, and said, "That's for you, dear." And it and he knocked the pound off the fee. So Tommy Taylor was cost Manchester United twenty nine thousand 
999 pounds. Yeah, and we'll see if he's worth every penny and every pound in, in episodes to come. And the, and the last player, oh, sorry, Taylor played 11 games, scored seven goals, so a really cracking start to his time at Old Trafford. And the last player to make an appearance this season was Dennis, last but not least, certainly Dennis Violet, now a ladies' man. Um, I shouldn't comment on that first and foremost, because first and foremost, he was a fantastic (laughs) footballer from Palace. A bit more than that, but yeah. Um, Three appearances, one goal this season, but he's coming through the ranks. He'd been playing through the reserves and obviously scoring plenty of goals there. Um, Signed as a professional in 1950, so he'd been waiting for his chance. An inside forward, and we talked about the those um, those riches that United had in abundance really coming through. And he was yeah. almost a perfect replacement for Pearson, really, because yes, uh, yes, he, he was a little bit more of a goal threat owing to his rapid speed and instincts. I mean, more of a playmaker, more of a scorer than Pearson was a playmaker. Mm, yeah, because they could both do both, though. Uh, so it was, it's a good comparison. Um, and uh, a player who's going to, yeah, who's going to figure very, very uh, prominently in ensuing episodes. Yeah, and we talked about the the players there who a lot of them have made between 20 and 30 appearances. So this is as close as we can get to, well, as close as what I could get to when I was putting it yeah. a line-up together. It's pretty difficult to do that, but I think this is as close as it came to what you would say was a regular Manchester United uh, team this season. Not... I, like, let's put it out there to start off with. I don't think that this 11 ever played together. And Aston, um, he's in there because he played 45 appearances. Um, he obviously moved at centre-forward at certain points like he did in the previous seasons. And obviously, by the end of the season, Peg was in that left-hand side position. So it was Burnham Peg down the left-hand side. It was very much their area of the team where they'd set up. Um, yeah. Pearson yeah. and Downey would obviously interchange those positions as well. Um United hadn't changed the colours throughout the entire series and they haven't done this time either. Red, white and black at home uh, and blue, white and black uh, in the away strip. The United review remains the same as well with a handshake at the top and the average home attendance for this season, 34,794. Uh, the key results, Paddy, all against Wolves, I would say, really. There was 3-0 at home mm. and um, the 6-2 away, both defeats. Um, really, it was the like we said that first Wolves loss that had United in twenty first position that made maybe sort of said that they needed to make these maybe major changes. But the key result, probably against Wolves, was the Youth Cup result after actually the seven one. That was the one that people took most notice of. Notice of this season, United um, really um, showing that the the future was rosy and maybe that Busby's boast um, was was right on the money. Um, yeah. The previous episode where he said he'd got a couple of hundred grand in reserve, um, it looked to be quite frightening for first team, um, yeah. first division managers at the moment. Um, so elsewhere in England, as we always wrap up, obviously Arsenal made up for previous disappointment um, yeah. by winning the league this time round, and Blackpool would suffered their own recent FA Cup heartbreak, won the famous Stanley Matthews Cup final against Bolton. That was this summer. Um, and for United, a, a bit of a transitional moment in Johnny Carey's retirement, Paddy. He'd been sort of looking at coaching for a while and the opportunity came up to, to go to Blackburn. So it was at the end of an era, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. So he was able to do what Busby had done and go straight from playing into, into management. Um, he went to Blackburn Rovers. Uh, his final uh, match was in the Coronation Cup, and this gives us a little bit of historical setting, because the Coronation Cup was played at the end of the season, the United's uh, final match in it was when they lost to Busby's boyhood love, Celtic, up in Glasgow, Um, although Carey did score a a, a wonderful goal on what was to prove his last appearance. So as, as he bowed out, Queen Elizabeth II came in. Remarkable. Uh, Carey would move on to to manage Blackburn, and he would actually um, make a fair few comments about the Busby Babes in the uh, following years, which may crop up in the, the process of this series. Um, a United legend, remembered for you know lifting the cup in '48, but obviously just a fantastic contribution to Manchester United history. Hopefully, we've paid that due respect in this series, um, and not you know he went into multiple positions to move. 
into right half, into a competitive midfield in the sort of twilight of his career and deliver a league title. And then, as you mentioned earlier, help to bring through the character of these young lads. Yeah. Um, it's a, a magnificent contribution that perhaps maybe people just refer to him as a captain of the 48 side, but maybe that latter contribution gets overlooked a little. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, if you're watching this video, then um, please give it a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening to the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll back next time to talk about the um, next integration of the Busby Babes. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.